All right, everybody, welcome to the show. For pod's sake, I'm Sean Callahan, and everybody knows that good guys know when to pull out. Ooh, ooh, saucy. Get your minds out of the gutter. I'm talking about, of course, Joe Biden's decision to pull out of Afghanistan by September 11th, 2001. So it's big news. It's big news for the United States. It's big news for the troops, their families. Uh, people in Afghanistan, the Afghan region, the Middle East, and the world. Now, America has been at war in Afghanistan for 20 years. And I think, or actually I know, the military itself has lost sight of what the hell are we even doing there. Now, we invaded Afghanistan in October of 2001, following the attacks of September 11th. Now, as you know, the Taliban had been ruling uh, in Afghanistan since the 90s. They are extraordinarily repressive. Uh, people would be stoned to death. Women had to have face coverings. They used, you know, harsh, harsh, uh, primitive sort of Sharia law to rule with an iron fist, while at the same time profiting quite handsomely from the opi uh, opium uh, trade and cultivating poppies. Most people don't realize that, but the majority of the world's heroin actually would come from Afghanistan and still probably does. I don't know the exact figures, but it's up there. But we invaded and originally we had a light sort of surgical response, which I think was a little bit too late to the game. Uh, Osama bin Laden, he escaped and lived on the lam for many, many years until he was tracked down and, of course, assassinated by SEAL Team 6 under the direction of Barack Obama. But our mission in Afghanistan has kind of morphed and evolved over the years and have been it's been an absolute sort of clusterfuck of a national strategic uh, policy. Originally, we went over to disrupt these Al Qaeda cells. Right. So Al Qaeda had had sought safe haven. Osama bin Laden used to be based out of uh, Sudan and he had traveled all over the world. You have to remember Osama bin Laden is, you know, uh, uh, connected to the the Saudi royals, you know he's uh, he's up there, and he he left and became a radical Islamist, and they would eventually get kicked out of country to country. But after gain, getting kicked out of the Sudan, they moved and took shelter in Afghanistan, which is where they trained for the September 11th attacks. So it's important to get a little bit more context about the state of Afghanistan uh, for people who don't know. I mean, this is a, a weird region of the world. It's very remote, a uh, very desolate sort of place. But what you have to realize is prior to the Taliban and, and prior to these uh, forces at work, in the late 1960s, even before, say, the Russians invaded in the 1970s, Afghanistan was a much more progressive place. It was basically more or less a democracy. You had women walking around Kabul, going to school, wearing bell bottoms with, uh, you know, open, uh, not open faces, but I mean, no face coverings. I mean, this it looked much like uh, any other kind of place like Turkey or, or something in that region in the late 1960s. And then the Soviets invaded Afghanistan in the 1970s. 
And we proceeded to back these fighters who poured in to fight Russian aggression. So this is the Mujahideen. So these were fighters from all over the Muslim world who viewed this arena as a way to battle these atheist Soviet invaders. Um, and again, you'll have to forgive me because my, uh, my graduate school memory is a, a little bit shot since I'm now 15 years out of grad school. But I think the original origins for the Soviets invading was sort of land grab and the uh, you know opportunities for running oil pipelines and things like that. It was a strategic resource sort of conflict that they decided to invade Afghanistan. And since this was the height of the Cold War, the Americans, anybody who, you know, who backs the communists or, or the communists themselves, we have to fight these proxy conflicts like we did in, in Korea, like we did in Vietnam. And now we brought this battle to, uh, uh, to the Afghan people and we had to battle the Soviets through these proxies, which were the Mujahideen. So this fighting force was actually given a billion dollars in U.S. taxpayer aid and training by the CIA. So it's sort of ironic when you think about how well these people who would later become the Taliban, how well they learned to fight, how well they learned how to uh, commit acts of terror, how well they learned to sneak box cutters onto airplanes and fly them into the Twin Towers. Because some of the Mujahideen fighters were trained by the Central Intelligence Agency of the United States. Now, most Americans don't know their history. And most Americans, especially American students, don't hear about that part of American history. But it's a term that the CIA calls blowback. It's the unintended consequences of our covert operations which is essentially what that was. We would funnel arms in, we will funnel, you know, do, perform training. And some of the, one of the person, one of the people, excuse me, that we trained was Osama bin Laden. So we gave them stinger missiles with the ability to shoot down helicopters. We gave them a billion dollars in aid and we helped them to bleed the Soviets out. The Soviets fought in this rough terrain, battling with the Mujahideen fighters, uh, and again, these were fighters from all over the Muslim world, uh, united under the banner of uh, protecting Islam and protecting the Afghan people. Because you remember Osama bin Laden is originally a Saudi national. And after the 10 years of bloody fighting, when Russians finally figured out there's no way that we're going to take over this country, this is, this is useless, we're going to retreat. And it was seen, <clears throat> excuse me, as a victory for United States covert operations. And then what did we do? We up and left. We didn't help rebuild the country that we just helped blown apart. And in that power vacuum with, uh, you know, areas of Afghanistan and rubble and a war torn people who rose to unify and, and to create some sort of stability in the country, the Taliban who were cobbled together from former Mujahideen fighters and wanted to have a strict uh, strict interpretation of early Islamic texts and build a society based on that. So uh, my former, I had a former professor when I went to Queens College in New York, who uh, he taught a cl class, the history and civilization of Islam, which I took. And he had 
actually been to Afghanistan in the 90s. And I said, well, what was it like? And he half jokingly said, well, the roads were safe. And he said that jokingly because nobody's going to try and rob you when the Taliban are in power because they ruled with such an iron fist over the people and everyone was so afraid. And it was a horrendous environment. But years later, the Taliban wound up giving sanctuary, sanctuary, excuse me, <clears throat> to uh, these former Mujahideen, and uh, some of which would go on to form Al-Qaeda. Now, the, the foundational thinking behind Al-Qaeda comes from a man named Ayman al-Zawahiri, who is a, an Egyptian intellectual um, and who created a militant form of Islamist thinking, that the idea that the only way that uh, people could live under a pure Islam is to essentially attack and destroy any outside threat to the purity of classical or is his interpretation of classical Islamic, Islamic uh, practice and thinking. And that meant attacking people in the West, people who prefer democracy, who prefer their women not to look like beekeepers. Sorry if you call that Islamic phobia. It's just a description, people um, who don't believe that if you uh, steal a loaf of bread to feed your family, you should get your hand cut off. This is the type of thing. Or if you're homosexual, you should be burned alive. This type of, you know, barbaric thinking. And he, he formed the basis of Al-Qaeda. Now, he was the real brains behind this operation, Ayman al-Zawahiri. Most people don't know him. Everyone knows Osama bin Laden. And the best description I can give you for who bin Laden is, is when you were growing up, maybe there was a friend in your neighborhood <clears throat> or in your school that nobody really liked all that much, but they had wealthy parents. And maybe you would coax that kid into having parties when their parents would go away because they'd have this big mansion to party in or they can get access to beer or drugs or whatever it was. Osama bin Laden was that guy. He had money. He had finances. And he became the sort of the public figure because he was towering. He was six foot four or something like that. He would really um, he was the poster child rather than Ayman al-Zawahiri. who had his big Coke bottle glasses and was kind of paunchy and he wasn't really the face of the organization, but he was the brains behind the organization. So everybody knows Bin Laden's name, but they don't know him so much. But they scattered around and they found a safe haven in Afghanistan to train. And in their training camps where they prepared and planned these attacks, which, again, they'd been planning pretty much since the failure of the 1993 World Trade Center bombing attack, which was... Uh, foundationally, more or less, coming from Al-Qaeda, although we didn't really know it yet, with uh, the mastermind behind those attacks, which was Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. But again, all these people subscribe to this militant Islamist philosophy. Um, and they didn't, they failed to bring the towers down. That was their initial goal, was to set off a bomb in the underground car park of the World Trade Center. And they did. But their bomb wasn't big enough or their, their specs were wrong, whatever the case may be. But their goal or their idea, their hope was to, to set the bomb off in one of the towers and that tower to, to crumble and fall into the other tower and both of them to have mass casualties and death. And it didn't occur. And so they waited and they plotted and they planned until they came up with the idea to fly planes into the trade towers. Now, we went in. 
after the September 11th attacks. And the idea was to destroy these Al-Qaeda cells if we can find them. But again, this type of decentralized terrorist network, there's only so much you can do. You're not going against a standing army. It's hard to pinpoint all these people. It takes a, a tremendous amount of intelligence gathering. But it's also, since it's so decentralized, you could have people scattered all over the world who don't actually need commands from a central uh, power structure. You know, they could simply take it upon themselves to commit an act of terror if they believe ideologically with what the, the stated goals of Al-Qaeda was to cut off the head of the snake. America is the great uh, Western power. It's the great uh, affront to pure uh, Islam and, um, you know, our democracy and our big titted women and our cursing and our guns and our freedom and all that other stuff that America represents. It was just uh, considered absolutely horrendous to what they were trying to do. And so they needed to try and do their best to cripple and hopefully eventually destroy the United States and Western democracies. That was their intent. And so anyone who believes in that can simply get on board. You don't need to actually be in a base camp in Afghanistan. And so we went in and wiped out some camps and killed some operatives and wound up killing some Taliban fighters who were essentially the power structure within Afghanistan. But as time went on, you remember the George W. Bush years, we shifted our resources from there to Iraq, which had absolutely nothing to do with 9-11, to chase non-existent weapons of mass destruction. And again, a lot of this, again, was planned in advance over years and years. There was a, a, a neo-political, a neo, excuse me, a neoconservative political think tank called the Project for the New American Century. And in that, they wrote a position paper in which their stated goals, and this is these are people in the Bush administration, so this is where this is coming from on the other side, stated goals for the United States was essentially to be the world's police force and to open up free market economies and to destroy and dismantle um, uh, threats or uh, dictatorship and, and different authoritarian regimes in order to open up their markets and spread democracy. This is what they believed America's new role post-Cold War should be. And some of the signatories and people behind that paper were Dick Cheney, former vice president, Donald Rumsfeld, former secretary of defense, uh, former uh, deputy, I believe, secretary of defense, Paul, uh, Paul Wolfowitz. So many people in the George W. Bush administration. And one of their targets in that was also the nation of Iraq, who had vast oil resources. And if only we can get rid of Saddam Hussein, we can open up free market economies, we could tap into these oil reserves, it could be both lucrative and perhaps would have a domino effect for democracy. The same way we had this bullshit theory about the domino effect of communism. That's why we had to go to Korea. That's why we had to go to Vietnam. That's why we had the Cuban Missile Crisis, because God forbid, if 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 North Korea, if North Korea, excuse me, or if uh, North Vietnam takes over and Vietnam becomes a communist country, then they're all going to become communist countries. Ah, and so let's lose 50,000 Americans fighting a, a proxy war in Vietnam. This is this is the type of geopolitical thinking that went on. 
So the idea was, oh, if we could just topple Iraq and install a democracy, they'll all fall like dominoes and they'll all be just craving Coca-Cola and blue jeans. It's going to be Levi's for days, folks, Levi's. And so we shifted all of these resources from Afghanistan, from the staging ground, or at least the birthplace of a lot of these uh, you know, future acts of terror, and we shifted and poured all these resources into Iraq. But we always kept forces behind in Afghanistan, fighting the Taliban, trying to install some sort of democratic government, but again, constantly just being bogged down by the terrain, by the fighting, because the Taliban always resisted and never gave up. And most people in Afghanistan are ethnic Pashtuns. And there's a great ethnic solidarity amongst the people in Afghanistan. And even if they don't all get along with each other, they will all get along to fight an invader. And that's what they've done. And that's how they've been bleeding out Americans for the past 20 years. And so now, finally, there was a plan by the Donald Trump administration to pull out of Afghanistan. And Biden's just announced they pushed back for logistical reasons a few more months and they're going to wrap it all up on September 11th, 2001, 20 years later. So what does this mean for the region? Well, I assume that we're going to pull out and there's going to be no economic development. There's going to be nothing really left behind. And we're going to make the same mistakes that we always make anytime we just go into a country. Remember what happened when we withdrew from Iraq? We left it in rubble. And who poured in? All of these different fighters who are trying to uh, stage or use this as a staging ground, and they created the Islamic State and helped engineer and take part in the civil war in Syria. So anytime there's a power vacuum, these radicals will pour in. But at the same time, it's important to remember that you can't simply leave a staging uh, or force everywhere all the time. We can't remain in Afghanistan forever because of a possible threat. And it's important to remember as well, a large portion of the 9-11 attacks weren't actually planned in their later stages and executed from a cave somewhere in Afghanistan. Mohammed Atta and a lot of the other night, uh, eventual hijackers were actually living in Germany without, you know, getting caught by German authorities. And they were actually planning, I believe, if memory serves, from Hamburg, from the city of Hamburg. And we didn't go in and invade Germany and try and blow some shit up. So that just goes to show how difficult this threat of terrorism is. But it's also not like a traditional war. We're not fighting a, a standing army. We're not fighting men in uniform. We're fighting shadowy figures who blend into the population. So the future of terrorism, terrorist threats, there's going to be a power vacuum once we leave in September. And people will pour in. The Taliban will get even stronger. They'll still be as repressive of the as these uh, excuse me as they've always been to women, to the idea of freedom, the idea of democracy or human decency, really, because this is a, these are people that if you're a, if you're a committed sort of sinner in their eyes, they bury people alive. Yeah, the Taliban. These are the types of folks that we're talking about. So I assume. It's only a matter of time <clears throat> before some sort of other Islamic State type apparatus pours in and uses Afghanistan. But what can you do? What is the alternative? Stay there forever? We can't stay there forever. We've lost lives. We've lost trillions of dollars. 
We've killed and assassinated Osama bin Laden. We've killed a lot of the top people uh, who formed the Al-Qaeda network who attacked us. And there's always going to be people who hate America. There just always will. And there's always going to be a terrorist threat. But more resources should be poured into the intelligence community and more surgical precision, surgical strikes, Navy SEALs, that sort of a thing. Because these ground land invasions... Afghanistan is known as the burial ground for empires, and for good reason. Nobody conquers Afghanistan. They never will. And they always have to learn, essentially the hard way, that defeat comes at a cost. The guerrillas, in a guerrilla warfare campaign, the guerrillas will always win. All, they, all it needs is to, to, to stay afloat, and if they stay alive, they win. And they have. So, we can't conquer them. But it's the right decision for the Biden administration to pull out. There's going to be consequences, but there's nothing else that we can do. After 20 years in such a volatile region, if resources wasted on the Iraq war, uh, resources wasted all over the place, money gone missing, you know, corruption, Taliban being padded, their pockets being padded with U.S. taxpayer uh, money. Uh, money being skimmed off the top by all these development and, uh, you know, no bid contracts going to, you know, companies in the United States. It's an absolute mess. And this is part of the military industrial complex. It's a part of the United States needing to have a reckoning with how it does business, with what it chooses to support. But Biden's made the right choice. He's building off of what Trump had already planned. Give credit where credit's due. That's fine. But as the mission has de-evolved into people having no idea why we're still there, it's the right time for us to get out. And that's the latest bit of news is that the U.S. will finally be out of Afghanistan after 20 years.